Hey, welcome to The Screenwriting Life. I'm Meg LaFove. And I'm Lorian McKenna. We are professional screenwriters. We've worked together as a team and separately. We've worked on studio and indie films, live action and animation, from my work on Inside Out and Captain Marvel. To my work in Pixar's story department on Up, Brave, and Inside Out. We are here to share our insights on the craft of screenwriting and also the life. How to not only survive the ups and downs, but thrive. We want to help you become the best screenwriter you can be and to reassure you that you are not alone on this journey. What is up, TSL family? It is producer Jeff here, and I am so excited for this week's show. Um, We're actually bringing you a special. Meg and Lorian were live panelists for a huge virtual conference out of Australia called the MCX Screenmakers Conference. It's actually the seventh edition of this event, and it's an industry event for emerging and developing content creators in Australia. But I will say the themes and sort of topics that Meg and Lorian covered are, of course, (laughs) universal and not only beautifully shape the screenwriting life, but kind of just what it means to live our lives as creatives in general. As always, I'm always just like so blown away and stunned by what Meg and Lorian have to say, and I know you will be too. Um, This conversation kind of hit all of the classic TSL themes that we love to talk about, but again, every time I hear Meg and Lorian speak on these topics, I feel like they're just illuminated in a whole new way. Um, And I want to say a special thanks to Jonathan Champ, who reached out to us for this interview and beautifully moderated the conversation between the two of them. So thank you, Jonathan, and I couldn't be more excited for you guys. Let's just get right into it. This is Meg and Lorian at the MCX Screenmakers Conference in Australia. Greetings, Uh, I am Jonathan Champ. I'm the engagement manager here at Mercury CX. Um, We are a national centre for story excellence here in Australia. Um, I'm also an emerging writer and a representative of the Australian Writers Guild South Australian Committee as well. Um, As an emerging writer, I could not be more excited uh, about our next next guests. Um, And welcome to this very special edition of The Screenwriting Life, live from MCX Screenmakers Conference. in a year of disruption globally, screenwriters and storytellers Meg LaFove and Lorian McKenna have absolutely changed the dialogue in screenwriting podcasts. Their unique blend of business and craft, uh, combined with their warmth and openness, has been inspiring both new and established long-time screenwriters to go into the lava and give their inner voices jobs. Um, we're going to explore all of that in this great conversation. Please drop any questions you have for Meg and Lorian in the chat. We're going to make sure that we get to as many Q&As as we can along the way. But first of all, please, uh, please welcome Meg and Lorian. Hi. Hi. Greetings Thank both you. of you. Yeah, thanks for having us. We're very excited to have you. Um, the world of COVID has done some interesting things, including um, Spawn podcasts yeah. that have had a very long life um, and also <laughs> given us the opportunity to have people here in person who we may not have otherwise got. I think with both of your schedules at the moment, it would have been nigh on impossible to get you to Australia, but here we are. I don't know, a trip to Australia. I don't know. That might have I happened. I feel like you could, you could have convinced us. <laughs> it, it, could have been, right, it could have been worse. It's the, the, the quarantine period. I mean, you'd have to have cleared right. off all the spiders first, though. Like, make sure there's an area of no spiders, and then I'd come. We're spider-free. Sure. MCX is a spider-free <laughs> environment, so we're actually safe for this conversation, <laughs> which is great. Um, look, I, I'm, I'm delighted to be talking to you both. Um, we represent strongly emerging writers at uh, MCX and through and through the conference. Um, and as an emerging writer myself, I've tried to kind of use some of those filters in thinking about what, what our conversation today could be about. So I'm the voice of the rest of the viewers in that sense, and it's, it's super exciting. I get to pretend to be Jeff, who does such a great job of this uh, the rest of the time as well. So hi, Jeff. I know you're there. Um, Let's start with the typical format, um, adventures in screenwriting. So uh, let's talk about the, the typical week, uh, or the, the week that's been. Mine has been mostly trying not to have a panic attack about this conversation, but also um, <laughs> going back through the year of the year, the 18 months of the screenwriting life, just think about what are some of the themes that have really jumped out um, and what are some of those things w- would be some of the insights which we'd love to go a little bit deeper with you in today. Um, and, uh, and also to think about uh, how to bring in the lava and talk about some of those things that are so essential. We've got a mixed audience. Some of some of them will be very familiar with the show. And we've also got some first-time listeners as well. So um, that my, my week has mostly been that and conference prep. So my writing week has been non-existent. I'd love to hear about yours. Uh-oh. What's, what, what are your adventures in the screenwriting life this week? Well, uh, I am really excited that you've done that research for our show because I haven't heard it. So I'm excited to hear what themes and what things you're interested in, what's sparking for you. Um, but my week, uh, I'm in post-production on a TV show I ran, I'm running, and uh, it's a lot. 
And uh, I'm sort of in a, I know this is supposed to be a space where we're supposed to be inspirational and like forward thinking, but I'm in a really wobbly space right now in that I am trying to figure out what's next, right? I want a sticky idea, but I don't feel like anything's sticking. And uh, based on my text with Meg earlier today, I'm sure she'll agree with me <laughs> that I'm not <laughs> feeling very sticky. Um, you know, I have a project in development that I'm really excited about, but, you know, I don't know if that's going to get a green light or not. And, you know, I've got to figure out what I'm doing next and sort of, you know, I'm tired because I've been working and I'm in post, so I'm still on a show, but I also have this sort of pressure, you know, what's next? What's the next thing? And sort of balancing my creative energy with my actual physical energy, with my, you know, life needs and my work needs and all of it. So, um, yeah, I guess I'm just wobbly this week and uh, that's where I am. I'm trying to stay hydrated, basically <laughs> where I am. Meg, how is your week? <laughs> Wobbly's good. Wobbly's a fine place to be. My week was thematically, uh, both projects I worked on have the same kind of thing going on, but in very different ways in that it's trying to get disparate voices to come together to form a single story, a single vision. And of course, that's led by the director. Um, and on one project, it's in very minute detail ways, like let's change this line of dialogue. Uh, well, we got to go to this screening. So let's band-aid that for now so that we know they know the intention. And it's very minute work. And on the other project, it's gigantic work. It's like an outline stage. And, you know, the trick with outlines is when you're working with a director, producers, whoever you're working with, you, what happens is that they like this piece and this piece, but not that piece. And you're like, well, they kind of all go together. So, you, you know, it's, it's this becomes this negotiation of, well, when, what really is this about? Let's go back. And I'm always going back, trying to go back to the beginning. Well, what is this about? What is her drive? What, how, you know, what is the engine of this thing? Um, so the director's been very busy and he's been on reshoots in a movie he's doing right now. So next week I actually get to talk to him and have a long conversation. So I'm very excited about that because at some point you need the director to come in and start guiding the process in terms of all of those choices uh, and what he wants. So I'm crossing my fingers for that. Um, but you know how it is. I just think that sometimes when you've worked really hard on an outline or a treatment or a script, you kind of want everybody to throw you a party <laughs> and be yes. like, oh my God, you cracked it. Or, oh my God, this, so much of this works. <laughs> yeah, there's other stuff to work on, but let's so much of this works. And yeah, that's not generally what people do. Um, you you know, you I, I've gotten to the habit now where I'm like, let's just start with telling me some things you like. That's just as important to know as what you don't like. So let's start there. Um, just to kind of open me up and keep me rooted and open to the process. Um, so, yeah, I wanted a party. <laughs> I Yay! Did. Here's your party. Thank we, you. We are famous for the parties at, uh, at, at Screen Makers Conference. <laughs> so uh, it's a virtual party, but we are throwing one for you. I'd like to come back to that when we get into talking about the craft a little bit, because it's really interesting. It's hard yeah, sure. to kind of balance that. Um, uh, balance that integrating notes and integrating that on one project, let alone multiple ones at once. So it's a, it, I'd love to explore that a little bit in a little bit of time. Um, I think w one of the things in terms of in terms of recognizing that we do have emerges on the way through, um, and just to bring people kind of rewind and then then fast forward. Um, you both had careers before being screenwriters, but both in creative industries in, in that sense. Uh, Meg, you, you were a producer and then made the transition, and, and Lauren, you were a teacher and a playwright. Um, can you both tell me a little bit about that point when you really feel that you really mark as when you broke in to screenwriting and what that part of the journey was like? Do you mean broke in in terms of the business in or of, creatively yeah. in terms of the business? Possibly both, actually. Both would be an interesting either would be good. Um, well, I guess they end up being the same, right? Because you're, you're writing scripts on your own, you're writing many, many versions, and then all of a sudden somebody actually wants to hire you or somebody just, you know, wants to have a meeting with you, right? And suddenly you're like, oh, I guess I'm a writer now. Um, I think that was the biggest internal shift is um, kind of deciding that writing was going to be my profession instead of my hobby. 
and that I was the one who's going to have to start calling myself a writer because if you're waiting for someone to come and knight you a writer, it ain't happening. You, you know, um, so there's a psychological shift that has to happen when you're going from one career to another, which is I'm a writer now. I may still have to learn my living doing this other stuff, but this is I'm a writer. And um, I think in terms of the business, it's, you know, it's when you get your first gig and you get, you know, I, I, I think it's when actually I got into the WGA. I was so excited. I took a picture. This was before Facebook and stuff. And I, you know, I just showed every, all my friends the picture and sent them it on an email because I was so proud and I felt like, oh yeah, now I'm in. And of course, then you, you get that job ends and you're like, shit, I need to get another job. I mean, it's always a hustle. Yeah. <laughs> it's always a hustle. But I feel like that's yeah. why I broke in. What about you, Lauren? Well, when I was a playwright, I was never a full-time playwright, right? It was always because I was living in San Francisco and I had a full-time job always. Um, you know, I wasn't getting my work produced. Uh, I don't know why. Uh, so I started a theater company with some other playwrights and it was all about, you know, raising money to get a theater, to put our plays up, producing our own work. Um, but I always knew that I was never going to make a living as a playwright. Like I just knew. Um, because I hadn't seen it happen before. So I just accepted that that was the truth, right? Um, and, uh, you know, I was teaching and then I, I started working at Pixar as, a, I guess my job would be, generally speaking, I was in production, I was, but I was also creative. So, um, but it wasn't until I moved to Los Angeles and sold my first TV show and got into the WGA that, you know, I was getting paid to write something felt like, oh, I'm a screenwriter. The struggle to name myself as a writer, as a playwright was hard. Um, but to name myself as a TV writer was, you know, I still have a little internal monologue about it. You know, and it's interesting, we talk a lot about professional writers and emerging writers and hustling to get the next deal, hustling to get the next job. And, you know, that's where I am right now, right? That I still feel like, oh, I got to start putting myself out there and making meetings and, and, you know, that it, there is no there, there. Um, but I, I, for me yet, maybe there is for other people, you know, but yeah, for me, it was when I sold my first TV show, I was getting paid to write. It was the scariest and most amazing thing that's ever happened to me. And then getting that WGA card in the mail mm. and, and, you know, being able to click, I'm a WGA. I meant, you know, when I ask you what union you're in, you know, so. That's fantastic. Uh, what, and, and now that um, you're in the business of helping people uh, at all stages of their writing through the, the, the screenwriting life, what advice that you give now would you most have needed to hear when you were at that breaking in stage? Is it something that you're still, I mean, you, you said you're, you've still got that internal monologue. What, what are the, what's the thing that would have been yeah. most helpful that you now tell other writers that you wish you'd told yourself back then? For me, it's don't wait to be picked. Right. Don't wait for someone to discover you. Don't wait for someone to come along and be like, anoint you as a writer. And also just because you haven't seen it before, doesn't mean you can't do it. Just because there are, you know, gates in the way and people say you can't go in the gate that way, go around, find a different way in or jump over, make a new place that doesn't have a gate. You know, that, that just because the way things are the way they are, doesn't mean that has to be the rules for me. That was, uh, sentence was grammatically tragic, and I'm just going <laughs> to lay that there and then go. Bye. <laughs> but it was full of meaning, so it's all right. The, the, the essence right. was absolutely clear. So. How about you, Meg? Um, I think for me, uh, my advice to myself back then would have been uh, to be a writer, you have to write. Mm -hmm. uh, you can talk about it. You can take classes. You can do development. You can help other writers, and that's all good stuff. I am not saying that's not good stuff. But that isn't even the part of your brain that writes. So it's it's not going to really learn it until you actually sit and write. Yeah. So and I kind of knew that, but I was so frightened by it. I was so scared of being bad. I was so scared of of that. If I started to write, I would have to face that I'm not a writer. I would have to face that I'm not good enough. I would have to face that um, I don't get to be a writer. The irony, of course, is you're not getting to be a writer. Like you're literally doing it to yourself. Um, and the truth is you do have to face that you are writing crap. You do have to face this doesn't work. 
But that is actually not about you, or in this case, me and my character. It's about the process. Mm. Like, I wish I understood. It was it was revelatory to me to go to Pixar and see people who I literally thought were story gods do stuff that doesn't work. And it wasn't like they walked in with, like, you know, beating themselves up. They walked in like, okay, let's talk about what works. Let's talk about what doesn't. Like, it wasn't. It wasn't some edict about them. It was like the work. This is the work. You have to try stuff that doesn't work. That's the point. Um, so for me, that was a really big shift in my brain of like, oh, even that guy, his first draft, so to speak, makes no sense. Uh, what is this movie? But there's something in here. There's this beautiful little spark in here. Look at these couple of things. And he's going to grab them. He's going to dig in to get a lot of notes and he's going to get a lot of inspiration and then he's going to go again. Yeah. And it's, I, I really wish I understood how many drafts it takes. Like, I think we, we watch a Marvel movie or whatever and we're like, well, somebody wrote that. And it's like, oh my God, it's so hard and so big and so layered and it's so much work and it's so many drafts. You can't even imagine. Um, so get going, man. I wish I just understood that uh, earlier. I think um, we'll talk a little bit about the brains trust later on, but but I think that idea of the bath draft, or the, the vomit draft, or the first draft, or the zero draft, depending on. I know there's a bit of debate in the in the zero in the. Yes, there's the, debate on the Facebook page. The Facebook People page don't like the word vomit. Oh, is there? Yeah. Yes, they don't like the word They don't like the word vomit. It's too gross. And I'm like, well, I mean, it is gross. I mean, it, it could, could be, be something else. That's the tame version. Yeah, I mean, honestly, <laughs> name it whatever you want, as long as it's not judgy. But, uh, so it has to exist. I think that's a really important yeah. thing that that thing of it not being judgy. Can you can you talk a bit a little bit about the role of that very first just get it done and 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 what role that has for an emerger when they are a bit afraid of of pushing through and just getting that first thing, no matter how because it's going to be bad. The first version is going to be bad. Can you talk yeah. a little bit about? It's going to be bad. Yeah. It's yeah, I'm bad. about to. Yeah, I'm about to jump into something. I need to write something, right? I don't I don't know if it's going to be a pitch or a script or two scripts, but I need to this weekend write something because I have been in a space where I'm not, right? I'm I'm writing, but I'm writing for the show and I'm, you know, writing dialogue and, you know, I need to now write something for myself and I have this gripping panic of I have no ideas. I'm not going to have anything to say once I open up the document or I'm going to get three pages in and then just run away, pass out. I don't know. Right. But so it feels so much, feels like so much pressure. Um, so for me, I have to make myself do it, which feels scary right now. Like I've been doing this for a while, but it still feels like, Oh God. So but I know, isn't it though? Cause like when we were kids, you would have just been like, I have a story to tell you. So there's this lady and she's yep. on a plane and you would have just like babbled and babbled it and babbled. Right. Like, it's not yeah. innate to be afraid of this barf draft, no. vomit draft. Think of it as a walk in the woods, right? Like, and, yeah. And, and you don't even know if you're going to end up in the same woods. You don't even know if you're going to end up in the same state. Like, it might take you through all of these woods, through this state, through Colorado, whatever. You started in the in the snow and you're going to end yeah. up in Florida. But you have to go through the snow and, and you have I to do it. it is for me, and this might be true of other writers, is overthinking, right? Oh. So I have, like, the glimmer of an idea. It's not even an idea. It's a woman. There's a woman in it. That's what I know for sure, right? Uh, then I start thinking, is she old? Is she young? Is she married? Is she divorced? And then I start asking myself all these questions, but in my head, not on the page. And then I'm constantly overthinking and judging and over, oh, she shouldn't walk over there. She should go over here. You know, and it's all the shoulds and the what ifs instead of writing. Just write it and see what happens, right? Instead of but letting the your story, doing... the story brain take over, it's a dream. Yeah. Like, can you imagine if you were like, you had to go to sleep, but to dream, you first had to give yourself notes on what dream you're going to have. Like, you would go bonkers because your I brain. I have way better dreams. I have to say, if that were the case, right? Well, no, <laughs> no, because there, it's working something out. It's a dream state. It's not even that right. logic brain. Because I'm a super overthinker too. That yeah. logic brain doesn't write. So it's trying to protect it's us. Trusting, it's trusting that process that there will be something there if I don't intellectually beat it to death before I allow myself to figure out how to trust myself. And and it's I, I've been thinking about it a lot. And I'm sort of figuring out, is it confidence? Is it turning off fear? Is it 
you know, is it just like, I'm just going to do it and then it's not, it. not naming it or judging just it. Do just, it. That's why we call it, I do it. Like, You just have to do it. Try to write it as fast as you can. Like, Fine, I'm going to do it right now. Right now Turning during the show. Going. Right. I, my suggestion is how fast can you write it? Like that is the goal is how fast can you get to the words, the end, and it's not a cheat. Like, because the other thing I want to see a lot of emerging writers do is they start an idea, they begin to judge it, they get into perfectionism, they get into fear, and then suddenly they have a different idea and they run over and they start writing that one. And they hit the, guess what? It does. It's not so good. Guess what? There's a lot of problems. Guess what? Oh, I have, a, I have a, even a better idea. And they're jumping, 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 jumping at some point. You have to just get to the end because the end is the beginning. Like I, I have a passion project. I wrote the whole freaking pilot to realize, oh, I need like two more characters in here. This is the A storyline. And these people who are in the side, way on the sides here have to actually be better characters. They have to actually be the B and C storylines. This is much more ensemble. I didn't know that until I wrote that whole pilot, uh, which was an adaptation. So that wasn't, you know, it was a lot of time. Uh, you just, we have to trust ourselves. We have to trust our story. Why don't we trust our muses? Why don't we think of it that way? It's not us. It's not Meg. It's not Lorian, right? It's not Jonathan. Hmm. It's your muse is waiting. Hmm. He or she, they have been waiting. Like you got to give. meditative them. as well. It is a bit like meditation sort of. I And I don't know how to meditate, so I'm making this up. But the trust in the now, in the moment, because the belief that this isn't the only project you will write or this project will get you like Meg, the, what you, what you, you know, you just talked about, it revealed that you have to keep writing this. It's a whole new discovery. It's a whole new story with two new characters and that the take the pressure off, which is so hard, right? That's where I am. Like I have to do something to sell something, to get it out to market, you know, yeah. all these pressures of it and sort of being able to turn that off to be like this, I'm just writing. <laughs> Right. To somehow disconnect mm. that. And that's, that's and that's why hard. we call it vomit, because it should just be coming out. Like, I don't want you to stop and go back. I don't want you to noodle with a sentence. I don't want you to if you could be in the middle of it and be like, I have no idea, but I think she gets out of the car. And I all I know is that what next happens next is he shows up and just write it. So just write. I don't know how this happens. Yeah. There's a car chase here. I think there's something very big here. I think she's going to get locked somewhere. OK, where is she locked? Like, just let it come out. Uh, and, and get so that you can then it's like clay bringing up clay from the riverbed so that you now are like, OK, what do I what am I still drawn to in this? Right. And it's funny. And I've said this on the show, but when I was a producer, I could tell when people um, stop started thinking instead of creating. I could tell. Uh, um, I'll just jump in. One of the things I think one of the next questions was what mistakes do you see early early career or early writers do. And, and, and this kind of ties in with the very first episode of um, Screenwriting Life was all about feedback. And it, it, this is kind of just a reminder, that this vomit draft, this is not for anybody but you as a writer. This no, no, no. No, because no. that's a mistake is delivering a draft too early. That's you wouldn't give that to somebody. <laughs> it's your clay to go make something with. You don't give it to anybody. I uh, professionally, I would not give something to somebody until you're on draft twelve. Like I expect a lot of drafts, and that's getting notes in between each draft, by the way. And really, so from really a trusted writing. person, yeah. Like, let's talk about what that means, right? So, yeah. like, delivering a twelve, the twelfth draft to someone means like an exec or a potential manager or, you know, somebody that you're looking for professional level, like, here's what I can do. Here's how I am. But like, in the meantime, you can be sharing it with your writer's group or a mentor to get feedback on, to develop it. Um, and we do have people on our face. We yeah. do have people on the Facebook group who are forming groups mm. that are local. They're getting writing buddies because you do need this. You need this feedback. It's really important to get it from outside of yourself. One of my feedback buddies, um, we, we talk about who our inner critic is, whether it's Meg or Lorian. Uh, my inner critic is Lorian, and hers is Meg. <laughs> so we have a... Uh, oh, no! Look at what what is that I would rather be your muse. <laughs> I would rather be your muse than your critic. <laughs> it's the I kind of like it, because now I'm like, what do I say? <laughs> well, one of the things that I think has been great, Lorian, is, is the idea that you give your... I, I like the idea that you give your inner critics jobs. 
So can you talk about that idea well, a little bit? That comes from Annie Lamott. Right. That's yeah, not that from was, me. That that was Annie oh, Lamott. That was, that yeah, was Annie she Lamont's had a really good one. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know how to do that. I'm not very good at that. <laughs> I I'm just running from my problems at as fast as I can go all the time. And right now, where it's leading me is I got to write. I've well, run for a while. Of, in terms of the vomit draft, you know, Ed Solomon had such a great um, idea of every morning he looks at the script and says, what is it now? What is it now? And that's really helped me uh, in terms of letting go of what it has to be and what will sell and all that other stuff that's jumping on your head. Well, just what is it now? And especially like when we talked about getting having more cooks in the kitchen because you thought you were going left, but now this cook, this director, this producer, whoever is like, well, we like left, but actually we really actually prefer right. So can we go a little left, but mostly right? And then you're like, okay, what is it now? What is it now? And you just, the iterative process of that, uh, you have, it's a muscle you have to form by doing all these drafts. And I think sometimes people are like, well, I did write a script eight times. And I'm like, right now you have to write another one eight times. You have to write it because it's a muscle that you're learning craft, you're learning voice, you're learning what you like, you're learning, I might like those movies, but I don't write them very well because just because you like a certain genre doesn't mean it's, you know, intrinsic to you and what you write and what comes out of you. And there's so many beautiful things to learn and keep, you know, because the other, the other spectrum of emerging writer is they have one script, this is what they wrote, and this is the one that has to be made, and and they're not continuing to write other things. Like it's the other pole, right? Of you never finish anything, or you have one thing, and you gotta. The process is iterative, and I really just want. That's why we call it vomit. I just want you to keep keep pulling it up, keep writing every day. Um, I don't even remember the question. <laughs> oh, about uh, putting it, giving yeah. your inner critic a job. I mean, we've talked about this a lot on the show, and I think it's a great idea. Um, I haven't been able to successfully do it consistently. I find that if the characters take over and that beautiful storytelling starts and you start to love a character, the critic's voice goes lower because now this voice is rising. And it's something, it's like a seduction, right? Like, now I want to find out what's going to happen or who she is or what, how are they going to be together? Like setting up your own story questions for yourself. Be, mm-hmm. you know, because you love storytelling. So set them up for yourself. Find a pair that shouldn't be together. Find a situation that doesn't seem it has a solution. Um, the harder it is to figure out, like if I, I, I love when I was a producer and read scripts, and I'm like, I literally don't know what's going to happen. That is so rare when you're a producer uh, to really read a script and be like, I have no idea where this is going like that again i don't mean you're going structurally all over the place i mean in terms of the storytelling mm, fantastic um in that you started to touch on what i wanted to loop back to and that is it's hard enough to do that on what having multiple projects going it's hard enough to do that for one script at a time but what do you do when you have to flip between projects and you're, you're trying to do what is this what is this now um but you're doing it across multiple things what what kind of personal techniques do you use to do that I think because I was a deadline, deadline. (laughs) panic is a really good one. Panic and deadline. Is this one due? Better fucking do that one right now. Excuse my French. So I I use panic. I use deadlines. Uh, I also was a producer. So my brain is very used to having multiple pots and jumping from thing to thing. Like as a producer, you'd be deep in talking to a writer about this. You'd be deep in the story. And then you got to get out and go over to the edit bay and do that story and shift your brain over and do that. And now you've got to go in and pitch to Sherry Lansing, blah, blah, blah. Like it was, you were constantly moving your brain. So I think that my brain can do that. It can jump. Um, I do sometimes have to kind of ease into the next one. Uh, Sometimes I'll read where I was, right? And uh, uh, sometimes retype things just to kind of get back in the water of that particular thing. Um, But I don't know about you, Lauren. The stories are always walking around my head. I mean, some of the best ideas I've had aren't aren't while I'm writing because they're still moving. They're still moving around. Yeah, it's a phone conversation. It's a walk. It's, you know, you know, it's in the shower. It's sort of, yeah, watching TV, something else occurs to me. Yeah, they're always, all of them are always cooking. So, yeah. one, one of it's, the other Honestly, really... it's deadlines. Deadlines. Panic. Panic. Stakes, deadlines. Yeah. I, I guess, uh, and for a, somebody who doesn't have a, who's still trying to break in, what might those deadlines, is what 
uh, what are your deadlines? How do you create? How do you recreate the panic if you? Don't I think with it? the writers group, there's yeah. a there's some writers groups I'm aware of where you have to pay money. You know, you yeah. pay like twenty dollars a week, and you take turns going around. So you know, when you when you are getting money or paying money, it feels real, right? Like if you're renting a space together, or if you're putting money into a a pot for something, right? It it oh, if you missed your me. slot, you missed your slot. Like right. it's going to go around. Yep. Like you have to, um, yeah. you do have to find, I found, I took classes uh, when I was classes switching over great. because, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm an A student. I like to turn in my things on time. Right. So uh, that helped me a lot. Again, I just did it for the deadlines and I, I'm sure I learned too, but the deadline of the class and um, getting those notes back, um, you, you have to create your own deadlines. You do. You absolutely do. Um, you know, and sometimes emerging writers take jobs that are so overwhelming, they're too tired to write. Mm. And that's a worry, too. Like people come to Hollywood and they go into agencies and that's really great for contacts. Absolutely. But you're going to work your butt off and you are going to be tired and then you're going to have to go home and write. So it's also kind of making sure that the writing is important. The writing has its place, it, it, an earned spot in your life. Uh, to do it, says the girl who's not working on her passion project. Okay, whatever. <laughs> but you're holding yourself publicly accountable by telling us all that you're not I working. Just so did. we are going to I check. Know. We That's are going to check. Or you could have a podcast and publicly give yourself some deadlines <laughs> that you will be humiliated <laughs> if you don't do it. Um, in terms of humiliation and all of the all of these emotions, I think one of the other really core things um, that's come out through the through the podcast is this idea of going into the lava and and the lava. And so I was, I was hoping we could just get a bit of it for those who aren't familiar with it. Um, but it has been such a powerful concept for some people in terms of really having to face some things. You think you're writing about one thing, but then you realise it's not, and then you have to go through that process of what it is, actually is that you're writing. Could you talk a little bit about the lava for us? Well, it came from something that happened to me. I was working with uh, a writer, a great writer, um, professional writer, writing about um, his special needs son. And I have a special needs son. So um, I was asked by the producers to come in because the script wasn't feeling emotional. And he was, as I talked to him about his son, it was all kind of above, you know, kind of intellectual, right? And so finally I was like, okay, well, I'm going to tell you about my son. And I just went very deep, very vulnerable, talking about a time that I was in Target and my son peed his pants at 12 years old and I got to take them into the restroom and the women are getting upset. And now I'm realizing I don't have any pants and I can't leave them. And just this overwhelming, uh, and I went into much more detail and it was very emotional. And I was like, you know, sometimes in my head, I just heard myself say, I just wanted to be normal. And then you feel crushing shame that you even thought that because he's amazing just how he is. And just the rolling, and he looked at me and he said, so basically you're asking me to stick my face in lava. And I was like, no, your whole body. And uh, the lava, when you write, sometimes it doesn't come up right away because it's, your brain has been very trained, has trained that lava to stay down. Like, but I believe the dream of the story is coming to you because there is something you want to explore. There is something that even if that your unconscious brain is willing and ready to go towards, and it's just about writing towards it. Meaning it's not an intellectual thing that I can tell you, oh, when this intellectual thing happens or when you're on this page, it's a feeling in your body, in your gut, in your, in your soul, solar plexus, somewhere, wherever it's sitting, and as you, you'll be writing and all of a sudden you'll feel it in your body. And I want you to go right towards it. Mm. I don't want you to like change the subject, get up, go have a hamburger, <laughs> go have a cookie. It's what I do. Um, you know, that's the vulnerability and to let the character keep going as if it was a dream that you don't have control over now. Even if it's, it's if, it, if it's going completely off script, so to speak, like it's not what you were planning to do. That is not what this character should be doing. It doesn't matter. It's up. It's walking around. Just go right now. Be brave. It, it takes a lot of courage. It mm. takes a lot of courage because it's a vulnerability. Um, but I will tell you that working at Pixar, those artists, both 
writers, directors, and actual artists make themselves so vulnerable. Mm. Every day, they are putting their guts, their hearts out on the table. They're presenting work that's very personal work. Mm. And, you know, that is why their stuff is so good and because it's iterated so many times. But that core stuff that we're talking about all the time, that lava, um, to me, is 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 the work and why your script will stand out from all the other scripts that might be technically craft wise good you know sometimes the hardest the writers who have the hardest are are technically very good mm -hmm. so you can read the script and enjoy it and everything's great but you just don't care you know what i mean it's that's that's tricky for those writers because they can write themselves away from the lava very well right um, so that's where the lava and that's where it comes from. <clears throat> Thank you. That's a, a fantastic um, explanation, I think. And, and I know that for people who listen to the podcast, we talk about that. It's code. It's, it's language now. It's like, okay, we've got to do the hard work. It's time to go into the lava. And it's, it's something that's certainly gaining a, a, a real currency in talking about that. Um, I, a nice pivot into the, the pick. I wanted to come back to the Pixar Brains Trust. But one of the things, um, the emotional honesty that is part of the discussion always um, from really experienced writers, um, I think is always refreshing to hear. Um, in terms of the Pixar thing, I keep a... Um, I keep a, a, a spreadsheet of how long into a Pixar film I burst into tears just un, un, just <laughs> from. It's usually somewhere about the seven or eight minute mark. It's just because of the magic of it. Um, and that happens through iteration and, and, and the things. You, could you both talk a little bit about that brain trust and the development process of Pixar and why that is kind of so unique at getting to the heart of things and the vulnerability and, and the things that you just mentioned, Meg? Well, you are starting with a director who has been very vulnerable and who has already gone into the lava. Mm -hmm. um, often as a writer and when I was a producer, your job is to walk in there with them or to take their hands and pull them in deeper, mm -hmm. right? Because they got into their ankles and they're like, I'm in. And you're like, oh yeah, no, yeah. We got to go a lot further on this. Um, the true geniuses, um, Pete Doctor, uh, they're really good at it. Pete Doctor is really, really good at it. Mm -hmm. he, he is... Uh, a genius at going to that honesty and that vulnerable place. Um, and there's a deep respect for that process at Pixar um, in terms of when you go into a brain trust, nobody's showing off. Nobody's trying to show how smart they are. They're not trying to kill your project. They're not. Uh, it is literally about the story. That doesn't mean you don't have hard brain trust. That doesn't mean they're not super honest about what's working and what's not. And you don't have to face it. Uh, but it's always it was it's always very supportive and for the right reason for your journey, meaning the director's journey and the team's journey into something and making it as good as it can be. You know, that was always I don't know, Lauren, how you felt, but I felt like the only quote unquote Pixar rule was, is this the best story? Is this the yeah. best story? Is this the best iteration? Go again, go again, go again, go again. And oftentimes you went backwards, which was super fun. <laughs> Because, you know, you got to fail fast, you got to, which is what they also would say, which is like, you have to try stuff that might not work. And guess what? Sometimes it doesn't work. But as long as the intention of what you were going for, they will jump in and, and, and try to help you get to what you're, what you're trying to get to. There is a level of commitment there too, right? That when a choice is made, everybody commits to it and goes down that path. Like there's not a lot of, but this, or this is what I said, or I told you. So it was like, nope, this is what we're doing. We're going down this path. Now it could work brilliantly, or it could expose a billion other problems, right? Mm -hmm. Or it just doesn't work. And then you have to pivot and commit to something else. So it takes a lot of energy as a group, as a person to always committing fully, everyone, right? To what the plan is. And I think applying that to your own work but not having that group around with you, I think is the challenge, right? In a TV room, you get to do that. Um, at Pixar, we got to do that. Um, as a writer writing original specs on your own or feature, it finding that commitment to the path, to what you're doing, I think is a trick. Well, um, you know, it's but it's really a good point, Lauren, because what Pixar does too is they put a date on the calendar. Like we're having a screening 
you've, you've chosen a path. Here's your screening date. Go. Yep. And it doesn't matter if halfway down you're like, I don't know if this is the best idea for this screening. Too bad. <laughs> we're going. Figure yeah. it out. Like, there are deadlines. There are hard, fast deadlines. And you have to commit. Because here's the thing. They know it's not going to be perfect. It's, they know it's going to be super far from perfect. They know that screening's going to be half good, half bad you know, stinky, beautiful. It's going to be a hodgepodge of stuff that everybody knows that. But that's what they want it to be. They want to see what it is. What is in that committed take? What works, what doesn't? Because that is not going to be the movie. That is not going to be the movie. It's just going to be where we're starting to get to the movie. And there's a partnership between creative and production at all levels. So that if you committed to a thing, we have a date. The date's in three weeks, right? oh no, we realize this whole section doesn't work. What do we do? Creative is coming up with creative production is coming up with ideas like, okay, well, we could pull this part out, put pictures, just like an art piece of artwork, and then we'll have voiceover telling the dialogue of it, right? That production is working on solutions that support the creative. Mm -hmm. So it, it, you want when you're looking for people to collaborate with in your life as a writer, you want people who are going to come up with solutions with you right? Who are going to challenge you, but who are also going to be in the flow with you. But you know, that's a really good point. Be your, be your, be the person who's finding solutions, not just pointing out problems. Like yes. a, yeah. a person in production could just be like, well, this doesn't work. That's not how or I don't like want this. To or, you, or I don't like yeah. this. I don't get it. You know, like, I'm not saying those aren't valuable notes to know when people get lost or they don't get it or, or whatever. But at some point, I want you guys to find the people who are like, I just got lost here. What were you trying to do? And they're starting to ask you questions. And they're like, oh, if you're trying to do that, what if you did this? Or what if she did that? And there's a, a back and forth flow to possible solutions. I think Andrew talked about this when he came on too. Like that's who you want to surround yourself with is people who are willing to jump in the pool with you and play. They're, they're you know, that Pixar is all about play. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Even days when it doesn't feel like it, it is. They're playing. Yeah, it's work. Sometimes it's hard play, but it's still play. That's um, right. That's fantastic. I'm, I'm going to use that as a pivot into um, some of the audience questions because that one actually is quite a yeah, pivot. Like how to? Um, yeah. One of the questions is um, how do you stay passionate about a story even when you work through all the drafts or the changes to it? So um, mm-hmm. either of you jump in for that one if there are so. I mean, often you, often, often you have to be like, why did I like this? Like you can get to a draft where you're like, I don't even remember why I liked this. But then your job is to remember why you liked it and what was the inspiration for it? What were you passionate about? And go flicker that flame again. I think a lot of times when you're taking notes, people have ideas of how to fix it, which is great. And then you try those things, but that may not be your version right? That may not be your lava. It may not be your thematic. So it can start to get off by so many degrees that all of a sudden it feels like a different movie. Well, it is because it went off. So sometimes you have to go back, meaning go back, or sometimes you have to really face um, something's wrong. Something's cracked down here. I've got the wrong main character or shoot the genre, the tone is off or, and those are big, big moments. Um, so I just use the love of the characters where I go back and, and why I wanted to write her to begin with. That jumps into one of the other questions is, um, as emerging writers, we often get to tell to find your voice and develop your voice. And so that passion for what draws you to the story is part of that. But um, how, how do you find your voice when you're first starting out? And what does that really mean to people? know if it's finding your so much voice so much as just using your voice and trusting it you have a point of view I mean I hope you're a writer you have a point of view you know and putting that I do it by putting it in my stage my screen directions right I write those as much as a character I try to so that you get a feeling of who I am as a storyteller so that if you read my script and then you met me you'd go "Uh uh-huh I get it and you know, <laughs> your, voice, be a big surprise. your voice often comes from that lava, right? Because nobody understands that like you do, that moment, that, that thing. Um, uh, your voice can come in different craft. So some people's voice really comes out in dialogue. Some people's voice comes out in uh, this, the genre, right? They're, they, they just really know how to twist a genre, update a genre. Um, it's, the voice can come out in 
how you enter and exit scenes and or relationships or there's so many different ways the voice comes out but i really believe the core of it the base of it is that lava mm -hmm. because you have experienced something in your life that nobody else has that you have unique insight into unique insight into now listen if the lava is happening right now <laughs> and it wasn't you know a couple of years ago that's harder you might need to go to therapy while you're writing it but that's okay that's okay uh but uh, i really think that that voice is the is the meeting of craft and lava yeah wow we had a follow-up question on the lava explanation too which was um how did that writer respond to that insight when you were working with the person and, and, and you spoke about that uh, initially no he's done it no he 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 did jump in and you know i feel like that's my job is to help him do that and to remind him when he's pulling away and to you know go let's go right over there i was working with an australian writer once and the um dad character was really flat and in my mind i'm thinking well we should just cut him out um but when talking to him i realized oh it's all sitting in the dad it's like the brain had flattened that character out almost like don't look over there that's just a cliche so a lot of the work what i do with writers is i ask a lot of questions uh because then the, often the more, the more questions you ask, the more that lava is starting to rise up, right? And then once we get, and sometimes if you get a huge reaction, like a big fuck you, you are right on it. Cause they do not want to talk about that. And that's just trust. I will it's say, I've been under uh, Meg's laser beam of the questions. And I know you're all thinking, gosh, I wish I had that. I wish I had Meg's brain on me and my project. And I'm here to tell you that it's scariest fucking thing ever <laughs> because you really do get pushed like really like mm. no the answer is no i don't want to and then why why not it's like ah and it's like you're trapped in your body but you you can't turn away you can't and then once you figure out what it is after meg asks you all the questions you have to write you have to now write right it now parse through it all and Yes, it's helpful, but it's also, you know, scary. Not Meg's not scary, but the process of confronting your lava is is horrible. Mm. <laughs> oh, and then no. it's great. <laughs> but no, the process is painful. It's pain. It be, it's coming yeah. up. You're looking but at something. But it can also pain. be beautiful and such a relief and so Look, um i'm in a dark place i get to say i, I know you but i have read one. your lava scripts and they're beautiful <laughs> and inspiring which is so funny because inside you're like this is torture and outside you're like that is the most moving emotional beautiful thing i've read it's so honest and true and you've changed changed me for having read it that is what happens but i you know then with terms of questions it's no like big secret i, I ask the person why five times yeah, right. That's just just try terrifying <laughs> with real curiosity, not like just yeah. crude, deep curiosity. Mm. Yeah. Um, the the stress that Lorian's just expressed about that is actually it's a good uh, probably last question. It, it's it's leading into with all the hustle and everything else. Um, how, we've got about a minute and a half left. What are what do you guys do for managing the stress? What how do you what's the thing that's the release as as creators? Uh, we text storm each other. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to say all kinds of healthy reasons, but right now it's I whine to Meg on text. Yeah, we text each other. It's really good to have a writing buddy, to have somebody you can be like, oh my God, I just got out of this meeting and rah! And then, and then 10 minutes later, shit, I think they might be right. And I yelled and I shouldn't have shit. And I feel bad 10 minutes later. You know what? I got to figure this out. Like, you know, it's just uh, the process to have somebody to help you uh, being seen being insane. acknowledged just saying yeah and then when you sucks. and not and supporting you while you're in it yeah that person sucks yeah you should go figure that out right <laughs> so that you it and being challenged occasionally but just having someone in your corner i think is and if you don't have that i want you to set the intention to find it I think that's you know i really do like if you don't have that person 
that writing buddy, okay, well, tell the universe you want it um, and th- to bring that person in, into you. And Jonathan, you mentioned that you have one. That's a um, perfect, yeah, it's a perfect and, lead into we're about to, we're, I'm going to have to wrap us up, but we're oh. about to go to break, which means that we've got the opportunity for people to find their writing buddies in the in the lunch break. So uh, Yeah, go, so you guys. I just do want that. to say an yeah. enormous thank you both for being so generous with your time and for uh, going into the lava with us because I think that those conversations do that as well. Um, you've been terrific and uh, we can't wait for the next episode uh, I can't wait for all of them thank you so much Meg thank you so much Laurie you're this welcome is, thank you Jonathan thank you. thank you you were great by the way yeah you did amazing great. yeah <laughs> cheers well as we make our way out today I would love to read some five star Apple podcast reviews um, we mentioned these reviews on the show because as I've said before Um, Five-star Apple Podcast reviews really push our show up in the algorithm on Apple Podcasts and help other people find the show. Um, So really writing a review is one of the best ways that you all can help the show keep going. So we really, really appreciate it. And we do have our lofty goal of trying to reach a thousand Apple Podcast reviews before the end of the year. And they keep coming in. So I think we can do it. All right. This review comes from Dave Ciarelli, who says, Screenwriting for the Soul. I was lucky enough to come across this podcast early on, and over the course of the pandemic, this show has guided me back to writing and helped readjust my perspective with not just writing, but my work and personal life too. Lorian and Meg have inspired me to revise the script I had left for dead, as well as a barf draft and an idea I had been too nervous to attempt. Not only that, but my appreciation for this podcast led me to start a YouTube channel just to sing their praises. Uh, Meg is like a fairy godmother of screenwriting, and Lorian is my spirit guide. This show is truly therapy for the writer's soul. Gosh, what a beautiful review. And Dave Cicerelli, I can't wait to check out your YouTube channel. All right, this one comes from Nick MCD, who says, a must listen for emerging screenwriters. Megan Lorian provide honest, genuine insight into the life of a professional screenwriter. I appreciate their willingness to go into each of their own lavas each week because I don't feel alone in my moments of uncertainty. Knowing that even the professionals have their frustrations and moments of self-doubt adds fuel to my fire to persevere. As someone who doesn't currently live in LA, the show allows me to feel connected to the industry and to learn more about the ins and outs before making the leap. Additionally, my question from the Facebook group got asked on air one week, and which makes the community feel even more tangible and personal. Thank you for everything that you do. Nick, thank you. Love that review. And finally, we're going to read a review from Verithmax Pejorative, which is quite an interesting username, who says, this is a toolkit for the writer's mind. This is the best writing podcast I've found. Most of the writing and screenwriting podcasts I listen to focus on craft and business, and while TSL also addresses those topics, what sets it apart, by a wide margin, is that all of it is filtered through a lens of mindset. In every episode, the hosts, Meg and Lorian, dive deep into the mental aspects of what it means to be and grow as a writer, and it's just invaluable priming, especially for younger and emerging writers who don't have much under their belts in terms of output or experience yet. And it's also a bonanza for seasoned writers, too. While I love the topics of the week, my favorite part is hearing about how their past week in writing went because their struggles are so relatable. Megan Lorian's humility, passion, honesty, and transparency about the life is a lighthouse beacon in the dense fog of near constant uncertainty that any writer navigates, no matter how experienced they are. Can't recommend TSL enough. And I must say, that is a beautiful metaphor, right? Not a simile, metaphor. <laughs> um, so thank you for sharing that, Max Pejorative. And... Again, thank you for these reviews. They go a long way to really help the show. Um, In the meantime, I hope you all have a beautiful week of writing and um, happy Sunday.